before I went to the university, I I went to vet school and I wanted to be a feline practitioner and that's what I've I've always wanted to do and I did an internship and I went into feline practice and I, I loved feline practice, but um, I just started to struggle with the things we didn't know for cats. Sorry for saying sorry media presents the Purr Podcast, the best podcast for feline medicine and surgery with tips, tricks, and updates for the entire veterinary healthcare team. If you're dying to know more about cats, keep on listening. Here are your hosts, Dr. Susan Little, famous cat vet and textbook author, and Dr. Yola Kirpenstein, talented surgeon and social media geek. This podcast is supported by an educational grant from Kindred Bio. Hi, this is Dr. Susan Little. And Dr. Yola Kirpenstein, and this is the Per Podcast. You know, I'm doing really good because I think the last three interviews we've taped, yes. I've actually started. So um, I'm looking at our guest who you'll hear in a minute. So Most typically laughing. what happens is we both stare at each other because nobody knows who to start, right? <laughs> yes. So one time actually our guest started because yes. we were like stuck in like who, and then so our, our special guest. That was Eric Garcia. That was he Eric, that's over, right. And he was just Eric just amazing. took over and ran the podcast after that. Yes. So yes, so. anyway. So where are we, Dr. Susan? We are in lovely San Francisco, mm -hmm. which if you're Canadian and it is a cold time of year, is a good place to be. Yeah, no, yes. it's like- There's uh, a lot of Canadians at this meeting. There is a lot. There's a lot of uh, foreign people in general. In general. Meeting, so. Are we foreign Canadians? Are we foreign? I think so. Uh, okay. I think Depends so. on your when, perspective. Yeah, yeah, no, not for me because I'm foreign too. <laughs> I'm a, I, I used to be an extraterrestrial alien, I said, <laughs> in the US. But now I oh. think I have a green card. So I'm oh. now a uh, not Im immigrant, that's, whatever that's alien. That's such it a is. funny term that you're an alien. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Canadians don't say that. No. You know, we're friendlier. We I'm, call I'm, you an alien. You know, yeah. Yeah. Get a little green, mm. have some skills. So the only American with us um, is you. Yes. yes. So welcome. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And would you like to introduce yourself? Yes. I'm Dr. Jessica Quimby, uh, Associate Professor at The Ohio State University. The Ohio State. The. Yes, As we I say. Know. Yeah. I get that all the time. Like it's like stuck in everybody's uh, yes. vocabulary now, right? You have yes. to go, the Ohio State. Yes. I don't know, but that started so, a and, long and, time and ago. Why is that? Do you know? I have no idea because I'm new to oh. the university. So when did you start? So I've been there for about two and a half years now. Time flies. I know, oh, I know. I feel like you just got there. I, I bet you do too. Time does fly. Mm -hmm. yeah. So we, we still don't know what the D is for. The, we'll probably know. There was a time when, when I know going. people just said Ohio State. And then somehow it got corrected to it's no no it's the Ohio State. It's like okay. It's, well, I mean, I don't know if this is true or not, but I've been told that you have to use the the when you say university. So oh, you could oh, say oh, Ohio oh. State, but if you said Ohio State University, you have to say the Ohio State University. But I feel like this should have been like in the training documents <laughs> because <laughs> I don't actually know if that's true so or not. Should be part of the orientation. I know. I'm like, <laughs> But is it so, the Kansas State University? No, no. nobody does. No. It's only no. Ohio it's only, State. Okay, okay. I know. So poor Jessica gets there and everybody's going, the <laughs> Ohio State. 
I know, I just throw up my hands. It's just a weird thing in yeah. veterinary medicine, I guess. Oh, that's, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, and when I first went there, and the, the OHIO thing, too, like, I still, I like, literally, I'd been there for approximately three days, yeah. and I went to WVC, and I got in the taxi, and the guy said, where are you from? And I said, Ohio State, and he goes, OH! And I just looked at him, and I was like, excuse me? And he goes, oh, I guess you haven't gotten that far yet. <laughs> like, I gather you're supposed like, to go... I, I had no idea. I mean, it's been three days, literally, since I started the job. So, so there's oh, a place wow. for a good orientation manual. Yeah. Why not? How to be a buckeye. How, how to blend in <laughs> seamlessly. Yes. Yes. Uh, yes, yes as you it. transplant yourself, because right. you were at Colorado State. Was. Yep. For was. a long time, huh? Um, 11 years. Yeah. Wow. Yep. So my residency, and then PhD, and then was faculty there for a couple of years, yeah. a few years before I went to Ohio State. And yeah. tell us a little bit about your background what yeah. do you do yeah so i am um well i mean before i went to the university i i went to vet school and i wanted to be a feline practitioner and that's what i've, I've always wanted to do and i did an internship and i went into feline practice and i i loved feline practice but um i just started to struggle with the things we didn't know for cats <laughs> mm. and it was just there were so many questions and it just seemed like whenever drugs were approved or projects were done they were very dog focused and so I just suddenly developed this passion to really learn more for cats specifically. And that's kind of what inspired me to go back um, and get further training. Um, and I chose internal medicine because it kind of resembles feline geriatric medicine, yeah. right? So it's um, that was really where my passion was. And then, you know, chronic kidney disease is just such a huge insurmountable problem and so many questions to be answered. So. Mm -hmm. That's why I ended up focusing on that for my PhD. Yeah, so that's kind of taken over your yes, it your, has. your life, yes. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So yeah, and luckily many other people are interested in kidney disease now too. So yeah. that's, yeah. Uh, that's it's a whole really little great. like subculture. It is, it <laughs> is right. So it's become it's a good a, thing, a hot thing. So and are you still able to do mainly cats then? Yeah. So um, part of the year, um, you know, I do research and I teach and I'm on clinics as an internal medicine mm -hmm. specialist. Um, so there are times when I oversee the clinical service. Uh, as faculty and I'm um, teaching residents and interns and the students but then also um, and during that time we see cats and dogs but for the purposes of my uh, specialty feline nephrology if you will mm -hmm. and then for the clinical trials that we usually have for kidney disease then that's when I get my my cat only fix because those people are coming in then to see me and talk about their kidney disease and participate in trials. And so I, I gather them. Mm. And then a lot of the staff and the faculty and the students come to me as well uh, with their kitties. You're the cat lady. So, yeah, so, and there's a couple of us, so it's not it's just good. me, but, yeah, but I, that then I can, you know, I enjoy my, my feline. You get your cat fix. Yes, right. I love my... that. I love that. <laughs> what kind of stuff do you have going on though? Well, we have a we have a number of projects going on at the moment. Um, we have been uh, obviously always looking at mirtazapine. We just finished up um, some studies there. We've been looking at gabapentin Ooh. in chronic kidney disease. So you know, it's just been such a transformational thing um, to be using the gabapentin to really help cats get into the clinic and yeah. be less stressed. 
And we became um, a little bit concerned there um, with some anecdotal feedback that we were getting because it's 100% renally excreted. So, wow. yeah, we 100%. 100%. So, if your kidneys are not working well, you're you may not be excreting your gabapentin. Yeah. So, not so, many drugs are like 100%. No, it is. That's that's It's pretty me. it's pretty beautiful. So, on the human side, they dose reduce quite a bit for kidney disease and we thought Oh, good. I wonder. I wonder. <laughs> we probably, and I, you know, when I was asking a lot of the feline practitioners that were starting to use it, they said, oh yeah, we've, we've definitely noticed that. I experienced it in my own cat. So we're in the midst right now of a nice study looking at what the pharmacokinetics of that, that sedation dose looks like in normal cats. And then how we compare that to a reduced dose in chronic kidney disease cats. Because um, we reduce the dose of other renally excreted drugs that aren't even excreted 100%, right. and we do dose reductions, right? right? Yeah. So, yep. so, and this has implications for even not just the sedation dose, but also using it for, you know, analgesia, analgesia and my osteoarthritis kitties. Yeah. And we're seeing these kitties that go home and they are getting, uh, you know, a dose that basically is the same as my sedation dose for their chronic arthritis and they're getting too sedate. And yeah. then the owners are wow. scared to use the drug. So we definitely need to figure out what to do with that. And and the results, the preliminary results so far are showing exactly what we suspected. So so do you think, is it a matter of dose reduction or extending frequency or both? Because that's always it's the both. thing. So yeah. that's actually what's curious about it is we are finding that the half-life is longer. Um, and hopefully we'll and we hopefully will be presenting that at ACEVM this mm, year. Nice. But the other thing is that we do also have to we have to dose reduce because they're still more sedate. And so that part of mm. the pharmacodynamic picture is a little less clear. I don't mm. we don't quite understand, understand yeah. yeah why that's happening. So my own kitty with chronic kidney disease, she needed a seventy five percent dose reduction. Whoa. Wow. Yeah, before she otherwise she just, you know, you're, like you're microdosing now. <laughs> she would sleep for day, you know, yeah. yeah I've definitely so. seen that the little yeah especially like um, two three kink those guys yes, like the low body condition low muscle yep. condition yeah um those guys and yep. you'll it'll just knock them out yep. even at half the dose i can imagine the pkpd data change completely if your kidneys are not one yes. working exactly yes. so it's not only you know the amount that you give because that not normally says the peak that you give, but also mm -hmm. the excretion and volume so of that, distribution. And who so knows? Your I mean, area right. in the curve is going to completely change. It will. Mm. It will. So that's the thing. As I'm wondering, is even in that short period of time that the area under the curve mm -hmm. is really uh, jumping up there for those cats. And so, are you? So. Do, is that the data that you're looking at? Are you do PK 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 PKPD <laughs> data that. analysis? <laughs> yeah. Pharmacokinetic, yeah, so, pharmacodynamic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, we actually have a WIN uh, Feline Foundation um, mm. funded study right mm. now. And we started actually just with some uh, looking at the PK so that we would be better informed about what we wanted to do with our pharmacodynamic study. Mm -hmm. So right now we're looking at just blood levels and that's mm -hmm. going to help us choose then how to do a placebo controlled study mm -hmm. in the chronic kidney disease kitties. So I foresee multiple studies to mm -hmm. come and, and we are definitely concerned that maybe there <clears throat> might also be an effect on blood pressure, especially if they get too much. So in normal cats, it hasn't really been shown to affect blood pressure. But if you're a chronic kidney disease cat and you've gotten too much, we've seen some cats who, you know, they're a bit zonked, if you mm -hmm. will, and then their so blood pressure is low. Drops their blood pressure. Yeah, 90 to 100. And so, oh, Lordy, it really drops yes, their blood pressure. Yes. Mm. So, wow. um, so, and of course, you know, to some extent that could be an angiolytic effect, but not at 90 mm. to 100. That's 
that's i'm too sedate and there is some evidence in the literature that it could have a direct uh blood pressure effect so we really need to find that information out in order to um use it correctly correctly and safely for those patients because it's such an asset i mean it's Mm. been so helpful you know and hats off to the win feline foundation we love win um we've talked to many uh, people like yourself who are researchers who have win funded projects Yes, yes. It's been so instrumental. For hats us. off to the Wind Feline Foundation. So let's talk about the amazing M drug. Yeah, so you <laughs> mentioned mertazapine. That yeah. really That's another drug we have to dose differently with, mm-hmm. with uh, kidney patients. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. So, and, um, and I think what it's coming about is it appears at this point in time, though, is it might depend on what kind of mertazapine that we're giving, though. What do you mean, what kind? Mm. So, I mean, a lot of our original studies were done with oral mertazapine. Yep. And they definitely, um, based on the studies that we've done and the studies that now have been done with the FDA-approved transdermal form, the when you give oral mertazapine, your, your blood level spikes a lot higher pretty immediately after you give that oral dose. So it's highly bioavailable by oral route? Yep. Exactly. Mm. Okay. But um, as you would expect for the drug, um, but um, that's not necessarily a good thing if it goes so high that you're getting those side effects. So right. some of our previous studies with the oral form have shown that that dose is really associated with the side effects. So the higher the dosing, the more the meow, meow, meow. And then we get this like unwanted hyper excitability and kind of the crazy behavior behavior serotonin syndrome yeah and and that we don't want like you're not going to eat if you're running around screaming yeah being scream you know crazy and Mm -hmm. and talking to your people yeah and you can't even sit down and you could they can get um quite toxic too i'm not coming like yeah by accidental overdoses usually right yep so when we had looked at accidental overdoses in the cats and this was one of the things that drove us to looking at uh more specific dosing because in that study we saw that the most common toxicities reported to the ASPCA were actually accidental administration of a full 15 milligram tablet mm-hmm. or the 3.75 milligram dose and a 7.5 milligram dose. Those were getting a lot of hits from yeah. toxicity, but that's like one to two migs per keg. It's huge. That's huge. And, or even more than that. And normally we're giving really small doses, like two milligrams, mm. you know, 1.88, the traditional yeah. dose. And for, um, the eighth of the 15 milligram. audience, what are the common signs of too high dose. Too high dose. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, one of the things that we reported in that paper would be just, you know, extreme vocalization. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can get tachypnic, tachycardic. They're, they're really kind of frantic, frantic behavior, uh, speedy, if you will. Mm-hmm. And just on a more subtle level, though, we don't want them just pacing and restless and meowing. Like that's too much. So. Mm-hmm. Even in the individual patient, regardless of the dose we're giving, we dose reduce if we're seeing that. So, you know, when something is approved at a certain dose for me as a veterinarian, I'm I still might need to look at my individual patient and say, I might need to alter this based on what's happening in this individual patient. And we see that more with the oral form because it does basically have more drug exposure, that yeah. area under the curve that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. They're getting more of that because it those drug concentrations are higher. And with the transdermal form that we studied and also the FDA approved product, 
it's it's not necessarily going up that high. And for that reason, we actually feel like we're seeing less side effects mm-hmm. with the transdermals, which is actually a good thing. And it would be harder to overdose. It would be accidentally, to, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, it would be harder to overdose. So it's a safety so, issue. Yep. Yeah. And so, you know, we're fortunate in this country um, that, um, you know, we have this product now. We don't have to worry about mistakes and mm, compounding. Exactly. And that type of thing. But our friends and cats in other countries may not have that. Mm. And so for that reason, we actually did look at compounded transdermal um, yeah. That's not the FDA approved form, Correct. but a, Correct. another so transdermal if you're, form. So if right. you were somewhere else, you yeah. know, I lecturing, you know, we lecture sure. internationally and people in Korea say, oh, I, we want this. What do we do? You yeah. know, can we have a transdermal? And so hopefully our studies looking at that would inform what to do. But the interesting thing that we've noticed is when we use that compounded formula, which can be quite inaccurate, it still helps, but the cats did really have side effects when we mm. gave it once a day. Whereas now some um, sub-study has been done with the Mirataz, and we don't really seem to see that for the most part in the studies that have been done when those cats get it daily. So okay. they seem like they're absorbing it better and yep. it's it's being processed more appropriately. Whereas with the compounded medication, you know, it's hard to grind up that tablet and put it in the gel and they have excipient on their ear. And might not absorb well. Might not absorb Can be erratic properly from erratic. day to day. Yeah, and, so there's a big difference yeah. there. And every pharmacy so, that makes it might make it different. Oh, yeah. We we tested some right? gel levels and yeah. they were all, all over the, the place, place for the compounded Which we products. see in all compounded yes. products. Right? I know, and yes, it, it yeah. points out because these companies normally put quite a lot of research into the product that they... Yes. And, that gets licensed, and, yeah. And obviously, when the FDA license, they have to oh, jump through strict, many, yeah. many hoops uh, to get this product uh, to be as it is. And that for compounding efforts, that's not happening. Nope. No, no. And so there's a huge difference. Yeah. Let's just circle back a minute um, and uh, a, a couple of more questions on the uh, getting back to oral forms and, yeah. and especially accidental overdoses. So what's sort of the worst case scenario? Have you seen seizures? Have you seen or, or sort of how bad can that get? Um, I mean, I have not personally seen any really bad yeah. scenarios. Yeah. Most of the time when it's happened to me in hospital, like heaven forbid, uh, a staff member mm, accidentally, accidentally gives, yeah. we've actually caught it pretty quickly and you know induced and then what do you do yeah what do you do uh we usually if we can get them to vomit it up immediately that's good Great. but of course that's suboptimal in my sick patient no yeah um, you're but, trying not to vomit yeah, yeah. yep yeah. but then um also ciproheptadine would uh-huh. be the antidote so isn't that interesting it is it is right it's such so, a strange thing oh, yeah that one appetite stimulating drug is the antidote for yes. another yeah so and that's something we definitely have to make sure that owners are aware of and vets and vets don't mm-hmm. double up no mm-hmm. it's two is not better yes. <laughs> not in this so, case right so <laughs> definitely you could be you know interfering there and so um you know i i think we did have one case where it was discovered too late that the cat had gotten the overdose and we did give ciproheptadine at regular intervals and did it um, help it did help yeah yeah mm-hmm. so a little tremory i the worst i've ever seen is just tremory Tremors. yeah and really discombobulated and meowing that's that's the worst i've seen um, too. like vomiting yeah. so not like life-threatening but yeah but I, nonetheless dramatic possibly in, dramatic well, and uncomfortable it's and... hard because that you know it's like well that patient is already sick so you know in the aspca study that we did there were some cats that died but <clears throat> I have no idea. Like those cats were already sick and yeah. only like there was just 
not hardly any. So like yeah. maybe somebody. So did they die of their disease? Or did they... Yeah. So there's no evidence that they actually died from the mirtazapine yeah. overdose. Um, and those cases, some of them, there wasn't even enough information to say anything about. You know, it's like, well, you're already very quite sick. Um, you mm. know, I we've no idea. Yeah. So we have not seen um, uh, that happen. But it's important to know that ciproheptadine is the it's is the, the antidote. antidote. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So there's there's um, lots of times we might want to use, use a drug like mirtazapine. Why would we use a drug like mirtazapine? Let's say over ciproheptadine. So there's two drugs. Yeah. Why? How would you prioritize those? Well, I mean, I guess I'm I feel lucky, if you will, to have. I guess been in feline medicine during the time when we actually didn't have mirtazapine yeah, because yeah. <laughs> yeah. because ciproheptadine just dark was never days. that great. It just you know would be like well yes for some cats it works but it often caused sedation mm. and they didn't eat and they ate no, more but not they just not didn't, enough they didn't more eat that much you know and mm. so it was just like well this is what we have and. Other things. But it was better than like um, uh, Valium or mm. Diazepam. Well, yeah, certainly orally. Be right. Before right. we moved to Ciproheptadine, um, it was the benzodiazepines. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, and then, of course, you've got that risk of hepatotoxicity with yep. oral Valium. We don't want to do that. Don't want to do that. And there's a lot so, of sedation with those drugs. Yep. Yep. And so, you know, it was just like, well, this is not impressive. And so about the time that I was going back to the university from feline practice, we've been using it all the time in these patients. And we saw this information about the new drug that was coming out, of course, on VIN. This is where, right? So yeah, we, we see information this information network. on VIN. That's where we see and things. And we're like, oh, this is really intriguing. So we start using it. But then at that time, the recommendation was 3.75 milligrams every three days. It was. I remember and, that. I and used we, to do that. Yeah. And we yeah. thought, oh, this is there's something wrong here. It's, it's too much. The dose is too high. And it doesn't last, last for three, three days. days. Yeah. There's no way. And that was just a postulated guess based on... That's what you do a, when you don't know. Right. So that's what motivated us to do these original studies looking at the oral form and the pharmacodynamics and the pharmacokinetics. And what we found was very surprising. It was mm. not... I mean, that's why we need these studies for cats. Yes. Mm. So, yeah. so we need... But, a, if you're using an oral form... Yeah, um, there. I don't think there's a licensed oral form no. anywhere, right? So we're Well, always... there's, there's a two milligram tablet on the in europe in the uk i believe it? yes mm. but i don't i don't know if it's a license i actually don't know enough about it, that but yeah I they tell me there's not. a two milligram they tablet. just they have a different tablet size, yes but yeah. anyway yeah and ladies so. i i already warned you this you know this discussion goes on but we're already at 25 minutes so <laughs> I know, I know. we barely touched know, the subject of getting cats so, to eat i know so but we'll I, have to I, continue i'm I not know. done no no but we have another session okay. coming up in two weeks thank so, goodness uh, wow okay so well we need to talk about why then. yes exactly why? Yeah, so the why. what to monitor and why we need to exactly, okay so, exactly so yeah, we'll, we'll, yeah so we'll, but i really appreciate it i mean this is i mean it's so the discussion is so vibrant. It's wonderful. <laughs> I love that. So, because we're know. excited I about know. the topic. I might get a little excited about it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But I think it, 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 it's interesting to see, you know, we used to have one drug that was quite awful. Then we got another drug that was a little just better. Like, kind yeah. of better, but it was not really. And now suddenly we have something that everybody's yeah. really excited about. Yeah. That. Yeah. That's cool. But it yeah. took the research to figure it out. So. Right. That's exactly right. it. So uh, thank you so much. Of course. And, uh, and we'll, we'll be back. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Stay tuned. All right. <laughs>
Dr. Susan Little is a feline medicine specialist with two cat-only hospitals in Ottawa, Canada. She is best known as an international speaker and as the author and editor of two textbooks, The Cat, Clinical Medicine and Management, and August, Consultations in Feline Internal Medicine. Along with three cats, she also admits to owning two dogs. And you can follow her on social media with the handle at CatPetSusan. Dr. Yurla Kerpenstein is a diplomate of the American and European College of Veterinary Surgeons and a big cat fan. His specialties range from surgical oncology and reconstruction to minimally invasive surgery. He is the author of two textbooks on basic and reconstructive surgery. Did you know he was allergic to cats? Yola works currently at Hills Pet Nutrition. You can follow him on social media with the handle at G-V-E-T-S-X. Opinions of this podcast are those by Dr. Susan Little and Dr. Yola Kirkenstein. Veterinary medicine is a complex profession, and often there are multiple diagnostic and therapeutic options for different disease processes. If you're a pet owner with questions, please go to your local veterinarian. If you're a veterinary professional, ask your questions on our Instagram page, at Per Podcast.